Welcome to another episode of Mike's Money Picks. Today on the podcast, we are going to be previewing the 2023 Travelers Championship. It is the week after the U.S. Open, but we've got another elevated event here on the PGA Tour schedule at, you know, with a quality field and at a quality course. And so this is another good opportunity to make us some money, whether you're playing DFS or outright betting or playing one and done. Um, We've got you covered here on this podcast today. We're going to break down all three of those components in under 30 minutes or less. Guaranteed, you will not find a more comprehensive preview in under 30 minutes. We're going to break down the course itself and how you can win here in Cromwell, Connecticut. Uh, And then we're going to break down some of the best plays in DFS and the outright betting market. And then we're going to wrap it up with some one and done strategy. So we've got you covered from all angles here in this episode. Now, if you are listening to the podcast or watching on YouTube, please like and subscribe. It really does help me out a lot and it, it doesn't cost anything to do so. And it shows me a lot of support. It really does help me out and I really do appreciate it. So if you would do that, I thank you very much. Um, Now, also, a few other housekeeping matters to attend to. Um, If you are playing on Underdog Fantasy, I will be posting my picks on Underdog um, for some of their pickums later on in the week on my Twitter page, at Mike's Money Picks. So follow me on there if you want to see those. If you've never played on Underdog before, use promo code mconley 88 when you make your first deposit, and you'll have your first deposit matched up to $100. Uh, it's basically free money. Um, it is in the um, YouTube video, so you can see it. It is also uh, pinned to my Twitter profile if you would rather just like copy and paste it from there. That works also. Now, before we get to the preview, don't start your 30-minute timer just yet. We've got to talk a little bit about the U.S. Open because it was kind of a big week in golf last week. And it was a U.S. Open that I personally enjoyed. You know, there's been a lot of criticism out there of Los Angeles Country Club. Um, and I kind of liked the course. Like, you know, it was a lot of interesting golf holes that made for some quality shots. I thought six was excellent. I thought the short par 315 was pretty cool. Um, you know, I know those got all the love in the broadcast, but I really like three and 12 as well, just in terms of you had to end up on the correct area of the green if you wanted to make birdie or if you missed the green, you had to miss it to the right side if you wanted to get up and down. Uh, and I personally don't care what the winning score of a U.S. Open is. I know a lot of people like prefer to see a more difficult golf course, but I really don't care. I think the concept of par um, is something that doesn't really matter for my enjoyment. Like one thing that drives me crazy is when there's courses where you watch them on TV and they're like, oh, it's a par five for the members, but it's playing as a par four today. Like why? Um, The only reason you would do that is if you want to make the winning score to par less to make your course seem more difficult. I don't understand what the point of that is. LACC didn't have any of those, but it did have some holes that kind of played to, you know, George Thomas's whole half par thing where, you know, you have an easy par five followed by a hard par four or an easy par four followed by a hard par three. I don't, like have any issue with that. I, I like seeing good golfers make good golf shots. And I'm thankful that at the end of the day, we didn't see anybody choke away this U.S. Open. You know, Wyndham Clark had a lot of impressive up and downs in his final round on Sunday that if he doesn't make, Rory McIlroy probably catches him. And Rory had a lot of birdie looks that if he was able to knock down, he would have won. And so it, to me, it was impressive to see that, you know, there was a guy who won the golf tournament. There wasn't a guy who lost the golf tournament. And would I, you know, personally prefer to see Rory win? A little bit. But, you know, I I just like that we got a quality finish at a quality course. I don't care what the winning score to par was. It made for some entertaining golf, and I was, you know, glued to my TV all weekend watching. Now, the NBC coverage, that's that's another story. I, I could go on all day about golf broadcasts and how they don't show enough shots, but that's another time, another place. Anyway... Looking at it from a DFS perspective, it was a chalky week at the U.S. Open. It was very easy to build a quality lineup in DFS. 
because Wyndham Clark, very popular. Ricky Fowler, very popular. Roy McIlroy, very popular. Scotty Scheffler, very popular. Harris English, not super popular, but kind of an easy to pick out sleeper because of his history at U.S. Opens. Uh, and then Cam Smith was not super popular, but he was a guy who was coming in off of a good major at the PGA Championship and two good finishes on live. And so you had a lot of guys near the top of the leaderboard who were kind of chalky picks in DFS. It really was not that difficult on paper to build like a winning Millie Maker lineup or anything like that because a lot of these guys were highly owned. A lot of these guys were thought of as good players anyway. And so that kind of brings us, you know, to a thought, you know, point where in DFS, sometimes chalk is chalk for a reason. Like guys end up being chalk in DFS because people think they're good plays and people want to play the best plays. And so that's what you kind of had here at the U.S. Open was a lot of guys who people thought were going to be good plays, whether, you know, it was Scotty and Rory who just, you know, they're two of the best players in the world, or whether it was Wyndham Clark or Ricky Fowler, who seemed like missed prices heading into the event. People thought they were going to be good plays, and they ended up being good plays. And so, you know, kind of you end up with a scenario where, yeah, chalk is chalk. Sometimes you want to avoid all the chalk, you know, for ownership purposes, but sometimes the best plays are the best plays. You know, and, and on the other hand, if you had played chalky Justin Rose, you would have been super disappointed. I had Justin Rose in a few of my lineups. You know, I had Mito Pereira in a few of my lineups, and I was disappointed with that. So, you know, it's all about finding the right chalk, finding the right balance between getting the best plays and getting that ownership leverage if you want to win in DFS. All right, now you can go ahead and set that 30-minute timers. Let's go ahead and start this preview by breaking down the course itself and... Before we do that, let's get a quick word from our friends at Spotify. All right, so the Travers Championship is played at TPC River Highlands, which is in Cromwell, Connecticut, which, side note, just sounds like old money New England to me, but anyway, that's beside the point. So um, it's been played at this course for about the last decade and a half. Um, it is one of the nicer courses on the PGA Tour. Like it does make for some good visuals um, and it will look good on television. It, and it's also a pretty well attended event by fans. It's not quite TBC Scottsdale, um, but is it, it is up there in terms of the fan attendance year in and year out. Now, TBC River Highlands is a par 70 and it's a little over 6,800 yards, making it one of the shortest courses that is in the PGA Tour rotation. It is the fourth shortest shortest course that the golfers on the PGA Tour will see this season. The fairways themselves are actually pretty narrow as well. Um, it's got the 10th narrowest fairways and then the sixth smallest greens on the PGA Tour, and they are bent grass greens with a little bit of a POA blend. So basically what that means is, is that distance is not this course's defense. Its defense is the tight fairways and the small greens that are going to force players to hit accurate controlled shots if they want to be able to score well here at this course. Now the winning score here this is not a difficult course by any means, but the, so the winning score here ends up usually being in the teens, somewhere in between minus 11 to minus 19 was as low as it got last year. The average is about minus 14 in that regard. Now, it is also notable that this is a peat die design. So a lot of features that are kind of known on peat die courses get used here. Um, it does feature some dog legs. It does feature some, um, some line of sights where you can't really see the pin from the tee, you know, stuff like that that peat die likes to do a lot. Um, but it is pretty straightforward for the most part, a, a little more so straightforward than a lot of other Pete Dye designs. Now, if you look at the scorecard, the thing that immediately stands out is the par fours at this course. There are eight of them 
that are between 400 and 450 yards. Meaning when the long hitters of the PGA Tour play these holes, they turn into driver wedge holes. There's not a whole lot of holes at this course where you're going to see guys without driver in their hand because there's not a whole lot of forced layups. There's not a whole lot of extreme dog legs. So a lot of guys are going to be hitting driver off the tee uh, and on these holes where they're 400 to 450, they're going to be driver wedge. Now, course history here at this course tends to be pretty predictive. There seems to be like a um, a knack, shall you say, for playing um, this course pretty well. And so if you look at course history here, you definitely see a lot of guys who um, play well time in and time again, right? Bubba Watson is probably the best example of this. Bubba Watson wanted this course here three times before he made the jump to live. Um, and then also another thing that's notable is in 2019, this event moved in the schedule to being directly after the U.S. Open. Uh, in 2020, that was not the case because the 2020 U.S. Open was played in September. But in 2019, 21, and 2022, when, it, when this event was played right after the U.S. Open, um, the guys who won here at this tournament played well in the U.S. Open the week before. In 2019, Jez Reby was third at Pebble Beach at the U.S. Open before winning here. In 2021, Harris English was third at the U.S. Open at Torrey Pines before winning here. And then in 2022, Xander Shoffley had a top 15 finish at the U.S. Open before finishing here. So um, that is just a little bit of a trend. So you might want to look to guys who did play well last week at the U.S. Open. Now, also, one thing you also notice is that you know, but with the nature of the PGA Tour schedule changing this season, this hasn't always been an elevated event. So this has been an event where guys see it on the schedule and they can either choose to come to this event or they can choose to skip it, right? And so it kind of begs the question when you see guys who haven't played this event a whole lot, like a John Rahm who's played it once or a Hideki Matsuyama who has never played it or um, trying to think of any other example. Um, some of these other guys are kind of newcomers or, um, you know, international guys. Matt Kuchar has never played this event. So, you know, it kind of begs the question, like, why have you not played here? You know, do you think that it doesn't suit your skill set? Do you think that, you know, it's just at a bad time in the schedule? I don't know. I don't know how to answer those questions for those guys. But it, it is just worth noting that this is an event where some guys have just choose or chosen to not really play this event a whole lot. Now, in terms of comp courses to TPC River Highlands, I think that there's a lot of crossover success when you look at some of the winners here with Copperhead, home of the Valspar Championship, and Colonial Country Club, home of the Charles Schwab Challenge. I think those are two where you see a lot of the similar winners. Um, Jordan Spieth has won here at Travelers. He's won at Copperhead. He's won at Colonial. Um, and then Jason Kokrak tend to play well at all three of those places. Um and then Sam Burns has played well at all three of those places. Um, now, there's also a lot of crossover um, with other Pete Dye designs, um, such as Harbortown, Austin Country Club, and the American Express. Two of the three courses there are Pete Dye designs. Um, so that might be worth looking into also. Um, to me, when you look at this course on paper, though, the skill set that it's going to require, it's going to be a driver wedge course. It's going to be a fairways and greens course with a driver in your hand. And so there are some other courses that fit that description. Just two weeks ago, we talked about Oakdale, home of the RBC Canadian Open. Shorter course, 
guys were pulling driver almost on every hole and they were having a wedge in on almost every hole. And so I think Oakdale is a pretty good comparison also. I think that Pebble Beach fits this mold just a little bit. We talked about that on the RBC Canadian Open podcast. Uh, and then I think the Detroit Golf Club, home of the Rocket Mortgage, fits that a little bit as well. So I think those three you could look at success at also. Um, now this is kind of more of a broader category, but TPC courses in general have a set of characteristics that they kind of play by, right? They are generally well manicured. They generally have plenty of room for grandstands. Um, they generally have pretty flat surfaces. And they're generally pretty straightforward, like classical tree line setups, right? Uh, and so I think you look at those TBC courses, Scottsdale, New Orleans, and Summerlin. Um, I think those are all courses you can draw a little bit of comparisons from. But to me, the best comp is TPC Sawgrass, home of the Players' Championship. That is also a Pete Dye design. Um, it is also a shorter golf course. Um, and it's also one where, kind of like here at the Travelers, if you do not hit fairways and greens, you can get yourself in trouble pretty quickly. But for the most part, if you're hitting fairways and you're hitting greens, this course can actually be fairly benign. All right, so... I do want to take a look at some key stats or some key um, characteristics of this course and see how guys rank out. So first, let's talk about short courses. So no surprise, the best golfer in the field on short golf courses in the last 36 rounds is Patrick Cantlay, followed by Xander Shoffley, and then a little bit of a surprise, Seamus Power, John Rahm, and JT Poston round out the top five in that one. Now, if you just look at Pete Dye golf courses... This list is a little bit different. Last 36 rounds, number one is Sung J.M., followed by Patrick Cantlay, Scotty Scheffler, Brian Harmon, and Shane Lowry rounding out your top five. I, I thought Shane Lowry coming in at fifth was a little bit of an interesting one there. Now, I do think that there are some key stats that are going to come into play here a little bit more than others. I went ahead and ran a custom model. You can see the, kind of the top of my model on the screen. Um, what I think is going to be very key is par fours, 400 to 450. Like we mentioned, there's eight of them here on this course. And the top five in that category are Scheffler, Morikawa, Cantlay, Finau, and Dietrich. You're kind of seeing Cantlay pop up time and time again on a lot of these key stats. Um, I also think that opportunities gained, which is pretty much did you give yourself a birdie putt is going to be an important stat this week. Um, Scheffler, Young, McElroy, Hoagie, and Matsuyama are the top five for that. And then I also think the proximity 100 to 125 is going to be very important this week just because that's the range where a lot of these tee shots are going to leave you. So top five in that, Russell Knox, Eric Cole, Colin Morikawa, Zach Johnson, a little bit of a surprise, uh, and then Billy Horschel rounding out the top five there. So just a few key stats that you can kind of look at um, and you know see that if you want to take advantage of what this course has to offer you, those are some guys that can do that in those specific areas. All right, so now let's go ahead and take a look at the DraftKings board and see if we can figure out who we can target this week. So looking at this week, to me personally, if there is ever a week to fade the big three, Scheffler, McElroy, and Rom, this might be it. This is a course that does not take advantage of the skill sets of the current best players in the world. All three of them drive the ball quite far. All three of them are very good with long irons and longer shots into greens. And all three of them have pretty solid short games around the green. So if we're being honest, like this course doesn't play in any of that because distance isn't going to be a super advantage. Um, you know, there's not going to be a whole lot of long iron shots into greens. And then you're not going to need to use your short game a whole lot 
if you're on the green already. So I really think that this is just kind of a um, not a place for the big three. And if there's ever a week where you're going to make an argument to fade them, this would be it. Now, my pick, if I was to pick one of them, would be Scotty Scheffler. Um, if you look at what he has done recently, he's finished third or better in his last four events. Pretty much his only weak spot in his game is the putter. Um, and if he's just able to turn that putter around, he's going to be able to just rack up win after win after win. And he also has wins or four total wins, I should say, at that list of comp courses that I had also. Um, now, if you're looking at it also, Rahm is probably going to be the least owned of the big three. He hasn't played as well recently. Um, he hasn't played as well at some of the comp courses um, as Rory and Scheffler, so I do think that Rahm might be a guy who you can play a little bit of an ownership leverage game for. Now, Xander and Cantlay are both going to be popular, right? Um, if you look at what Xander has done, um, Xander has played extremely well in U.S. Opens, you know, year in, year out. That's not a shocker. But Xander also won this tournament last year, and that is going to be a big factor into, I think, a lot of people are going to play Xander Shoffley on DraftKings this week. Now, Patrick Cantlay, on the other hand, has five straight top 15 finishes here. Now, he's never finished in the top 10 in any of those five appearances, but, I mean, that's worth something, right? Five straight top 15 appearances. You got to figure that with his game being in a really good spot, you know, he kind of just backdoored his way into another good finish at a major. Um, with his game being in a good spot, I do think that a lot of people are going to be playing Patrick Cantlay. Now, if you're looking for a little bit of ownership leverage, I do think Victor Hovland might provide you a little bit of that. And he does have a decent history here with a T11 and a T54. Uh, and then Tony Finau, I think, is probably going to be a little bit under-owned as well. Um, you know, three missed cuts and a T13 here. And he popped up on a lot of important stats. He's really good with his approach game right now. Um, and he is a guy who can get hot off the tee and with the putter. So I do think this sets up well for both Hovland and Finau if you're looking to get away from Shoffley and Cantlay. Now, Morikawa is an interesting one. Morikawa, on paper, this course should set up really well for. He is not very long off the tee. He is accurate, and he is elite with his irons. And if you look at what he's been doing recently, he has brought back his elite iron play. He's gained at least three strokes on approach in that is seven straight tournaments, assuming that he did it at the Masters. So I really think that, you know, this is a place that sets up well for Fowler. I think approach is probably going to be the key, like the key area this week that guys are going to need to gain strokes from if they want to separate themselves from the pack. So I'm a big or big proponent of Colin Morikawa this week. Now, the bottom of the 9K range, you got Fleetwood, Clark, and Fowler. And I'm not going to lie to y'all, I'm kind of good with fading all three of them this week. I think they're all three going to come in super popular. Fowler, with what he just showed last week at the U.S. Open in his general recent form coming in, Ricky's playing some really good golf right now. Um, you know, T5 at the U.S. Open, T9 at the Memorial, T6 at the Charles Schwab. Ricky's in a really good spot. Um, and then you look at um, Tommy Fleetwood with, you know, his impressive run at the Canadian Open and his impressive Sunday at the U.S. Open. People are going to be all back on Fleetwood right? So I think ownership's going to be super high on those two guys. Wyndham Clark, I don't know what the ownership is, but I do know that like I'm good for a week on Wyndham Clark. Like congrats on your major win. Go live it up. Go enjoy it. I'll, I'll be back next week, Wyndham. All right. Because if you look at what he did last time after he won, he won at the Wells Fargo and immediately missed the cut pretty 
ugly at the PGA Championship. And so uh, I'm kind of good on that. I'm not saying he's going to come to Travelers and miss the cut, but what I am saying is it's going to be an emotional week. He's going to have a lot going on this week, and he's got to travel all the way across the country from California to Connecticut. So, Wyndham, I'll, ca- I'll catch back up with you another time. I- I'm good on this week, buddy. You-, you-, you enjoy your U.S. Open. Now, at the top of the 8K range are also some guys that I'm fading. Miss me with Fitzpatrick, miss me with Homa, miss me with Justin Thomas, miss me with Sanjay. Uh, Fitzpatrick, just been super unpredictable. Homa, another guy, not greatest run of form recently. Justin Thomas, terrible run of form recently. He's playing some of the worst golf of his like recent career, if we're being honest. And then Sung JM, not great recent form as well. Now, if you want to be early on any of these four guys, I don't think the ownership is going to be very high on them, but I just don't think with what they've shown recently coming in, I just don't think that there's a lot there to bank on. If you want to try to pick them this week and try to be early on them because you think you have an ownership leverage advantage, go for it. Um, but it, it will not be me doing that this week. Now, a guy that I do like a lot is Hideki Matsuyama. Um, he's been doing a lot of good things recently, even though he doesn't have a whole lot of history here at the Travelers. In fact, he doesn't have any history here at the Travelers. But if you look at what he's been doing, he has been really good on approach. He has been really good around the green. And his putter has been pretty much hit or miss. And if that putter hits like it did at Memorial, like it did at the Masters, he gives you a really good finish. And even at the PGA Championship in the U.S. Open, when the putter was really bad, he still turned in a pretty solid performance. So I think that Hideki's doing a lot of good things. If we can just get a good putting week out of Hideki, this could be his week. If I'm being totally honest in how I'm building my lineups this week, I'm probably starting up top with um, one of the big guys, probably Xander or Cantlay, maybe even a Hovland or a Finau if I'm feeling frisky. Um, and then going down and scooping up Hideki here, 8,600. Um, fading Young and Day, even though Day does have great history here. He has three top 12s here. Just wanted to mention that, but I'm probably fading those two. And then I'm probably getting at least one guy from this next little range, the bottom of the 8K range. So um, Sahith Thigawa, um, runner up here last year tends to play pretty well at TPC courses. So I do like how this sets up for Sahith. Um, And then Shane Lowry, um, you know, he popped up for being great at the Pete Dye courses. He's playing some pretty good golf if we're looking at it recently. Um, You know, pretty much making all of the cuts, turning in solid performances at only $8,200. We'd be okay with any of his recent finishes. Um, And then Tom Kim, this course should set up really well for, right? We kind of talked about this a little bit with Colin Morikawa, but Tom Kim is short off the tee, but he is accurate and he's elite with his irons. He hits a lot of greens and he has shown us the ability in his young career to get hot with the putter like he did at the US Open, eighth place finish, like he did um, at the Wyndham last year with a win, like he did at the Shriners last year with a win. The Shriners, TPC course, short course, Wyndham, not Pete Dye design, but kind of Pete Dye adjacent. It's a par 70. It's a short course. Um, and, you know, he, he won both those events. So I really like everything that shapes up for Tom Kim this week. I like how he found his iron game back at uh, the U.S. Open last week. Now, if we're looking at it also, if, we, if we're talking about Pete Dye courses, we're talking about short courses, we got to mention Siwoo Kim. He's been great at both in his career. Um, I expect him to be pretty popular. But like I said, I might be playing one or even two of these guys in this range. I like that range a lot this week. I think they are better 
in recent form, better fits for the course, better values than pretty much the entire top half of the AK range except for Hideki. So I really do like that bottom half of the AK range this week. Now looking down the board, Russell Henley, I expect to be pretty chalky. You look at his tournament history, he's got two top 20 finishes here as well as a T32. Um, I expect him to be popular. I think he's a solid play but just know coming in that he's going to have a lot of ownership. Now, Minwoo Lee and Harris English, I'm kind of fine with playing either of those guys coming in off of good finishes at the U.S. Open. We talked about uh, earlier how good finishes off the U.S. Open, for whatever reason, tend to end up pretty well here. Um, but the guy I like in this range that's going to go under own because I think all three of those guys will be pretty popular is Keegan Bradley. So Keegan Bradley always plays well in the Northeast. And then if you look at his history here at Travelers, he has two top 20 finishes in the last five years. Now he does have two missed cuts, but I just generally like Keegan Bradley in the Northeastern United States. So I do think he makes for a solid play. Now, Denny McCarthy is a guy who should fit this course well, but like this course history just seems weird to me. Like, I don't get it. I don't know what goes on with Denny, um, but he's got a withdrawal, two missed cuts, a T73 and a T47 in his last five appearances here. That is not good. Um, so I'm probably going to pass on Denny, even though long-term I do like Denny at short courses. I do like Denny at small greens. It just, I don't know, for whatever reason, it just hasn't been there for Denny at this course. So I'm probably not going to get the Denny this week. Now, the opposite of that, Brian Harmon. Brian Harmon, in terms of guys who are in this field, so not counting Spieth, not counting Bubba Watson, not counting Dustin Johnson, he is Mr. TPC River Highlands. Four top 10 finishes in the last five years, four top eight finishes in the last five years even. Um, now, keep in mind, everybody else has access to that information, so he's probably going to be pretty popular, but I do think he makes for a pretty good play. Like we talked about earlier with the U.S. Open, sometimes the popular plays are the good plays, right? So um, you can't. I wouldn't play all of the guys that I've said are going to be highly owned, but Brian Harmon is definitely an option if you are leaning on the course history. Now, I do want to mention two guys kind of together, and that is Ludwig Aberg and Sam, Sam Bennett. almost called him Sam Stevens. Uh, Sam Bennett and Ludwig Aberg. So both of them are recently promoted to professional coming off of playing college golf, right? And I think it's quite possible that in our limited sample size we have of them, I think they're just better than their price tags. Like Ludwig Aberg hits the ball a mile. And we saw at the RBC Canadian Open two weeks ago, he turned in a 25th place finish and he gained strokes in every category except for the putter. So I just think that, you know, both of these guys, Sam Bennett also having a pretty solid performance at the US Open, even though his Saturday kind of threw it away. Um, I just think that both of these guys might actually be better than what their current price tag is. And I, think, I really think that they're worth going back to the well until we kind of know how good they actually are, right? Now, looking at the bottom half of the seven, K range. I do like both Austin Eckrow and Eric Cole. They're both playing like really good golf, really good form coming in. Um, especially Eric Cole, you look at the short courses like the RBC Canadian Open. He did have a T6 there. Um, and then Austin Eckrow kind of backdooring his way to a top 10 at the US Open. Uh, but I think they're both going to be popular. Um, so I probably wouldn't play both of them together. I'd probably play one of them. But I do think that they're some of the better plays here at the bottom half of the 7K range. Now, if you're looking for guys who are playing well at the bottom half of the 7K, who I don't expect to be very popular, there is Justin Suh, 
who's at 7,200, having some good recent finishes coming in, um, including 27th at the U.S. Open, 16th at the Charles Schwab. That's a short course. Um, Sixth at the Players earlier this year. That is another short course. That was one of my comp courses. So I think Justin Suh, he's been really solid with the putter. He's been pretty solid tee to green, honestly. Um, I think he's a pretty solid play this week there at $7,200. And then I also... Um, like Andrew Putnam in this range. He's a guy who we played a lot at the start of the year who was really good at short courses, um, really good with the putter, really good on approach. And I think that's kind of the skill set that he could lean on this week if he wants to win. If you're looking at his track record at short courses, you got 21st at the RSM, 4th at the Sony Open, 36th at the American Express. Um, that, that's just in 29th at the Charles Schwab. Uh, last month. So I I just think that's a great track record on short courses. I really do like Andrew Putnam's skill set this week. Um, Now, continuing down the board a little bit further, we got Will Gordon, who kind of randomly and early in his young career finished T3 here in 2020. That is worth mentioning, considering course history here is pretty sticky. I don't think this course exactly fits his skill set because he is really good off the tee. Um, He really does bomb it out there. Um, and he actually doesn't play super well at easy courses. But if you look at what he's doing ball striking right now, he's been pretty solid. Like he gained almost nine strokes on approach um, in the RBC Canadian Open two weeks ago. Um, gained 4.2 off the tee as well. Um, so I do think that Will Gordon does have a pretty high ceiling here and does have a path where he could lead you to a really good finish. Now, nobody, and I mean nobody, has better recent form coming in than... C.T. Pan, even Scotty Scheffler. Actually, I think Scotty Scheffler has a slight edge. But C.T. Pan finished third at the RBC Canadian Open and fourth at the Byron Nelson. Um, I'm willing to go back to him for that reason. I just think he's got it figured out right now. Whatever it is, he's making a lot of birdies. He's had a lot of great weeks on approach. I'm willing to go back to C.T. Pan. Now, looking down here, um, at 7K and below, it gets kind of tough. There's just not as many, like rock solid great plays right Nate Lashley I think is one of them he's a guy who um has pretty good run at a lot of my comp courses he has a win at Detroit Golf Club he's played well at Pebble Beach he's played well at short courses recently with 17th at the RBC Canadian Open um so I do think Nate Lashley is worth a mention um Mark Hubbard is going to be your 6K chalk this week. He is playing some great golf right now. Um, He's in the midst of a really good run, 6th at the Canadian Open, 30th at the Memorial, 9th at the Charles Schwab. And and you look at it in general too, he's just playing really well at short courses. And he's also played pretty well here at TPC River Highlands. Um, T46, T13, and T37 in the last three years. Um, So Mark Hubbard, definitely going to be popular this week, but he is you know, probably going to be the like preferred value bargain play in the 6K range, but it's for good reason. He's playing really well and he's got really good history here. Now, Lee Hodges is a guy who um, finished T25 here last year. He's got some really good recent form coming in if you look at his recent finishes. Um, in fact, those are 25th at the RBC Canadian Open, 12th at the Moore Memorial, and then 29th at the Charles Schwab Challenge. Um, so you do have a good run of recent form for Lee Hodges. Uh, and then Doug Gim is one of my bargain 
favorites, if I'm being honest. Uh, I don't expect him to be as popular as the other two, um, but he's coming in off of three straight top 30 finishes, and you look at his track record, he seems to do pretty well with these short courses. He also seems to have figured it out recently. Earlier in the calendar year, he was missing like every cut, and now he's put it together for three straight top 30 finishes. People have kind of forgotten about Doug Gim, but when they were both at Texas, like Doug Gim was thought to be the better prospect than Scotty Scheffler, which is kind of wild to think about, but it is true. Uh, and so Doug Gim is one of my favorite value plays of the week. Now, looking further down the board, like I said, it gets really hard to spot for values. Michael Thor Bjornsson was an amateur when he played here last year and finished T4. Um, that's probably the only reason he's sitting here at $6,800 on DraftKings as opposed to like a flat 6,000. Um, Mackenzie Hughes has a pretty good run of history here. Um, if you look at it, you know, he's made the cut in each of the last five years. You do have a winner here down at $6,700. That is Chez Reeve. He won back in 2019, hasn't missed the cut since then. So I do think that is worth mentioning also. Um, other than that, there's just not a whole lot of else that you can bank on in the 6K range. Um, Tyler Duncan sitting at $6,300 has not missed a cut here in the last five editions. Um, that is worth mentioning. Uh, and then Kevin Tway had two top 10s here earlier in his career. That is worth mentioning also. Um, but I'm probably not going to get down that far to any of those guys, if I'm being honest. I just wanted to mention it in case um, that was a direction either you guys wanted to go. So, Let's go ahead and that does it for the DFS preview. Um, let's go ahead and take a quick breather and then let's talk some one and done strategy. All right, so let's talk one and done for a quick second here. So um, if you're looking at the betting board, clearly the three top names are going to be the big three, Scheffler, Rom, and McElroy, right? But like I said earlier, I think this is as good of a week as ever to go ahead and fade those big three. I, I just think that this is a course where they're not really going to be able to take advantage of their skill set. If you have Scheffler, Rahm, or McElroy available in your one and done, then congratulations. That, that's impressive restraint to still have those three available. Um, but I would probably save them for either the Open Championship or you have the FedEx Cup playoff events. You also have an elevated event at the Scottish Open. Um, there's just plenty of options that you can get either of those three guys into your one and done somewhere else where they're more able to take advantage of what they do well. So I'm probably fading those three this week in one and done and probably would not advise betting them outright either. Now, Cantlay and Shoffley are two guys who you can kind of play at any course in a one-and-done, but there's not really a whole lot of natural homes for them on the schedule that is left. Cantlay, um, obviously back-to-back -back champion in the BMW. That's probably where you would save him for. Um, Shoffley, defending champion of the Scottish Open. That's probably what you would save him for. But with both of their history at this event, like we talked about earlier, I'm fine with deploying both of them, or either of them in this event, I should say. Um, this is an elevated event, and so you are going to get an elevated purse. And so you do kind of want to play one of the big dogs. Like There's not a whole lot of elevated events left on the schedule, but... I would prefer to play a big dog who's not one of the biggest dogs, <laughs> I guess it would be my way of wording it. Um, I, I probably am not going to play one of the big three, but I don't have a problem going Cantlay or Shoffley. I think Hovland, Finel, Morikawa are in that category as well. Really looking at Colin Morikawa, I really don't think there's a natural home for him in the rest of the schedule for a one and done. So Colin Morikawa is probably going to end up being my pick for one and dones this week. Um, I don't necessarily see there being a whole lot of chalk in one and dones this week. I think the chalk probably ends up being Cantlay and Shoffley, if I'm being honest. Um, 
So if you're looking to gain ground in your one and done, um, you can look a little further down the board. I think Tommy Fleetwood is a nice little under the radar play. Um, I would probably not play Wyndham Clark coming off of his win. Um, Siwoo is not a bad play. Russell Henley is not a bad play. Uh, a guy that a lot of people probably have left, though, I think is a really good play, would be Hideki Matsuyama. Um, again, he's another guy where not all, really a natural home in the rest of the schedule for Hideki, um, but he's playing some good golf. If he can just flip the putter around, I think this could be a really good week for Hideki. Um, so that's probably as far down the board as I would go for this week. Remember, this is a, um elevated event, so this is an elevated purse. If you wanted to be super, super different, you can go down here. You got Harris English. You got Minwoo Lee. Um, Harris English has won this event. Minwoo Lee coming off of the good finish at the U.S. Open and also with the good finish earlier in the year at the Players. Those are probably the last two like Super Bowl picks that I would consider. All right, so that does it for the Travelers Championship 2023 preview. And as promised, the preview itself was under 30 minutes. Had a little bit of extra talk about the U.S. Open, some other stuff at the start, so don't count that. But the actual preview was under 30 minutes. So whatever it was this week, whether you are playing DFS, whether you're betting, whether you're doing player props on underdog, whether you are playing one and done, hopefully gave you guys some good information that you guys can use to fill out your lineups or fill out your betting cards or your slip on underdog or your one and done entry. Hopefully I gave you guys everything you need to fill out your entries with some winners. Now, if you like what you heard here today, please like and subscribe. If you're listening to the podcast on the audio feed, please subscribe. You'll be notified when new episodes drop. If you're on YouTube, please hit that like button. Please subscribe to the channel. It really does help me out a lot. Um, if you subscribe, you'll be notified when new videos or podcasts drop. Like later on in the week, we're going to be continuing our 32 team previews for the 2023 fantasy football season, we've already done the Chiefs and the Chargers. We're going to be continuing and finishing out the AFC West this week. So if you're subscribed, you'll be notified when those episodes drop. And you'll also be notified next week when we are back here for the Rocket Mortgage, which is one that has a little bit of sentimental value for me. But more on that when we get to it next week. Anyway, that does it for this episode, guys. Thank you guys for listening. Best of luck this week, and I will see you next time.